0: In each of our lives, there are places where we feel completely stuck. Sometimes it's us who continues to drive that nail deeper. Sometimes it's situations outside of our control. Maybe you've tried to pull the nail out for years and try as you might, it just seems impossible. But what if there was a way to experience lasting freedom and hope? What if there was a way to break free? As I mentioned before, it's always great when we get to welcome back good friends, and uh, it's been a privilege to preach this series, Break Free. Last week, Pastor Brian grabbed a hold of the next installment, and today, uh, Lem is going to come, continue to build on the foundation as we go after these difficult, habitual, besetting sins, and next week, I get to tackle breaking the cycle of temptation. Yay. That sounds like a good piece of work, and so we're going to be doing that together. Uh, Pastor Lem Yucita was a part of our staff for a number of years, and then he went to Southern California, did a few things. He started a school, a bunch of stuff like that, and then he came back and is now the executive director at the FURS. We're so glad to have Lem with us, and uh, he is Dr. Lem Yucita, but around here, he's just Lem, and that's the way that we love to do it. So would you put your hands together, and let's welcome Lem. There he is right there. Hey, buddy. Welcome.
1: Good morning. Oh, it's so good to see you. It's so good to be here this morning. Um, yeah, I was here a couple of years ago and now I get to lead the first Bible and missionary conference. It's this little retreat center down near Lake Whatcom. And um on Wednesday, February first, we're gonna open registration for Fur Creek, which is our day camp. I wanna tell you all about it. Shameless plug, right? So if you have a first through sixth grader uh we do we run a day camp for 10 weeks in the summer and then if you uh if you want to get rid of your high schooler for a whole week you know we do overnight camp at firwood we'll run seven weeks and you can you can register uh your kids and we'll gladly take them and we'll you know worship and hear god's word and do a whole bunch of fun stuff it's it's pretty awesome so um february 1st look for us register it'd be it'd be amazing um i'm really excited uh to get to preach this morning it's 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 always fun and it's an honor and it's a privilege and it's always kind of scary and then um as as i started processing through our series on habitual sin and as the excitement of the possibility of preaching like kind of died down like the topic of the series hit me you know i'm gonna have to be vulnerable and the reality of talking about habitual sin and knowing that i'll have to do it in front of people uh people that will listen to this talk and people that know me and know my sin it's almost, it was almost enough to go back to Grant and say, ah, let me, I think I'll pass on this one, <laughs> but, but I tell you, I stand up here this morning um, in the power and in the strength of the Holy Spirit, and the righteousness available to me by the sacrifice of our Savior, amen, because I, I, in my own power, I can't do this, you know, so will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me, I, I and I just want to say a little prayer before we get going, so father thank you for this day thank you for the opportunity that we get to hear your word and we humbly prayerfully ask that you would be kind to us this morning lord this morning will you teach us something about you will you teach us something about ourselves And, and lord help us see that we can only do this life with your help we definitely need you so we ask these things in your name jesus amen So we continue in our series of habitual sin or besetting sin. And we were taught that we all have at least one and maybe even one main one. But everyone is included and like Romans 3 says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We do not have the power in ourselves to overcome sin. And last week we were taught that, that a feature of this habitual sin is that you might find yourself saying, oops, I did it again. As we looked at the, the example of Abraham and how he kept sinning. And Pastor Brian, I think, missed the opportunity to sing Brittany at church. <laughs> and, and, and I wanna get asked to speak again, so I'm also gonna skip out on the opportunity to sing Britney in church. Even though there's a temptation for me to wanna to sing Britney in church. I'm not gonna fall for it. Again, Grant says we're gonna talk about temptation next week. And the reason why I, I want to is because of one of my habitual sins. And one of my habitual sins is vanity. I'm, I am so vain. And I do think that song is about me. <laughs> you know, you know I, I even looked up the lyrics to make sure to just to double check and and if you if you're too young to know that song there's there's a song from today uh that's kind of the same thing and the lyrics go i can buy myself flowers write my name in the sand i can love me better than you can same thing you know Va- vanity v- i'm so vain and uh back to my vanity the thing about vanity is when you're vain, you don't like know it, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, do you guys all know someone like that? Me. <laughs> but I want to tell you a story of how I, I learned about my vanity, and I was able to name it after this story. So in 1998, I was in a car accident, and I won't go into the full details of the story, but here's the quick version, okay? So basically i was on my way home i was in grad school and i i hit another car i don't know how i can't tell you how to this day but what happened was my head went through the windshield of the car and i fractured my forehead so it goes your forehead your nasal cavity and then there's this plate called the frontal sinus and the doctor said that i obliterated my frontal sinus so now i have a titanium alloy plate in there and I do not set off alarms at the, at the airport. That's, that's what most people ask. So when you go through a major surgery like this, they, they tell you about all your injuries and how they're gonna fix it. And I remember the last conversation of going through all of my injuries, the doctor said, now here's the deal, Lem, your injuries are so bad that we're gonna have to take your forehead off in order to, to clean you up on the inside, okay? And then... Once we take your forehead off We're going to put a titanium alloy plate in there And then he adds at the end We're going to have to, to, have to put you so far under That you might not wake up from this And as he It ends well, don't worry, I'm here <laughs> and, and as he said that All I could think about Was that I was going to have a line on my head that I was gonna have like this line where hair was missing in light of not being able to wake up or like, you you know, you might die from this thing. All I could think about was this line, which I actually have, like, I'll show you later. It's right here. <laughs> and, then, and then this week I told my wife that I was gonna tell this story to kind of make this point. And she goes, yeah, your vanity is still intact. <laughs> I also told one of my uh, coworkers this week, you know, Uh, You know this story and that I was going to share it and and she said isn't vanity like a personality trait and not a sin And I was like nah For me for me, it's definitely a sin. It leads me down the path of pride In fact, this vanity hides a lot of my insecurity And I cover that up with my ego And I can't tell you how many times i've probably hurt people because of my vanity and my pride And I hurt people because I knew I was right and they were wrong. And I've hurt people because I've held on to this idea and I I chose my stubbornness and I chose to hurt their feelings and I chose my pride. It's one of my habitual cycles. Last week, Brian read out of Romans 7, verse 15. And I want to read through these verses again. And we look at Paul and his habitual sin. And this is what Paul says in Romans 7, 15 to 25. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is is the sin living in me that does it. Now, that's the second time he talks about the sin living in him that does it. And he actually brings it up one more time. Verse 21. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Paul himself talks about his habitual sin cycle, and in verse 18, he says, I desire to do what is good. And in verse 21, he says, I want to do good and he's not able to now i want you to write this down in your notes wanting and desiring to do good is not enough wanting and desiring to go, to do good is not good enough i pointed out in uh this this passage that it's the sin living in me that does it And he's saying that I I want and desire to do good, but I can't because the sin living in me does it. You might find yourself in, in this sin pattern, in this habitual sin cycle, and you might find yourself delighting in God's law, like Paul says, and in so doing, you may want or desire to do what is good, but you'll find yourself in your habitual sin pattern where you just can't seem to get out of your habit. You guys know what I'm talking about? Paul himself experienced this, and he wrote books of the Bible. He was one of the first missionaries ever, and he struggled with this. He had a thorn in the flesh. He wanted and desired to do good, but it wasn't enough for him to do good. Now, here's the first question of the day. If you're following in your, in your journal, we have a question, a truth, and a step. Here's the first question this morning. Can you name your habitual sin cycle? Do you have the courage to name your habitual sin cycle. You don't have to necessarily share it from up front, but can you name it? Now, there's a neuroscience insight that I'd like to talk about. It's one of the first things that came to mind when I was thinking about this talk. I wondered, what what happens in the brain that gets you stuck in this cycle, this habitual sin cycle, this thorn in the flesh? And what I learned is that you create a neural pathway, or you create these neural grooves in your brain. In, Romans, in, in the Romans 7 passage, Paul says, I am a prisoner of the law of sin at work in me. And what happens is that the reward centers of your brain fire up when you get in a particular situation. And no amount of wanting or desiring to do good gets you out of this neural pathway or this neural groove you are a prisoner to it it becomes hardwired in your brain you know what i'm talking about here where you find yourself in a situation and even though you think about not sinning you still find yourself sinning and these neural pathways have forged in such a way that you can't help but fall into sin that's what the neuroscience says this is the sin living in you you're a prisoner to it and that's what this neural pathway is now there's these these two concepts out of neuroscience that come into play that that i want to talk about and i'm not a neuroscientist i, I know nothing about it but i you know was curious about how this all interplays the first is this thing called Hebb's law Cells that fire together, wire together. As these cells fire together in the beginning of your sin cycle, they wire together so that you find yourself stuck in this habitual sin cycle. So much so, again, that no amount of wanting or desiring to not sin is enough. The reward centers of your brain fire when you find yourself in this habitual sin cycle. And it's typically a thought that leads to an action and then the reward centers of your brain are like, yeah, yes. Thought, action, reward, and it repeats and the cycle keeps going and you start to develop these neural pathways, these neural grooves in your mind where you can't stop. And it gets to the point where wanting to not sin, it just can't stop you from jumping into it. And because we've wired these cells together, As Paul says, you're a prisoner to it. Now, the second concept out of neuroscience that I was looking at is this idea called the quantum Zeno effect, which simply puts, it says that the brain becomes whatever you regularly focus on. The brain becomes whatever you regularly focus on. Again, I'm not a neuroscientist. I read another publication, and I tried to look up this concept, and I started reading about it, and it's way too complex for my little mind to comprehend. But the simple version of this thing is, if you focus on the thing, it actually changes your brain. So as you think about sin, you continue to hardwire your habitual sin cycle. And the interesting insight to this is, even your thoughts about not sinning continue to hardwire your sin cycle. You know that little exercise of the not not thinking about the pink elephant? You know when somebody says, don't think about the pink elephant. And then you think about not thinking about the pink elephant. That's still thinking about the pink elephant. Thinking about not sinning is still hardwiring your sin patterns. not interesting? And then Paul says in verse 19, I do not do the good that I do not want to do. And even his thought about not sinning still impacts that neural pathway the thought of not sinning forges the habitual sin cycle it's crazy to me but this but this principle says that even when you think about not sinning it drives you deeper into your sin Isn't that interesting now there's an insight out of first john 1 9 that i want to point out and first john 1 9 says this if we confess our sins He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness, right? You guys know this verse? and, and, And some of you might say, okay, Lem, this verse says that if we confess our sins, God will be faithful to forgive us our sins and purify us absolutely 100%. God will forgive you and purify you of your sins if you give it up to him. And that's what this verse says but let me tell you what i end up doing and what i've done for years so here's the sin cycle where you sin and then you confess and then you receive some forgiveness and then you get to the point where like you know you find yourself in that situation and then you end up doing it again and you sin and you confess and you ask for forgiveness and then you find yourself in another situation where you start well i start to say well next time i won't find myself in that situation ah and then i said then i asked for confession and then i asked for forgiveness well well god next time and then you start telling god what you will do next time in order to not sin next time i will be better next time i will not be alone next time And anytime you tell God that next time this is what you're going to do, what you do is you use your own power to not sin again. But like Paul said earlier, when we in our own power, we just can't help but fall back into that neural pathway of sin. Every time you say next time I won't, you take the power of not sinning upon yourself. When you tell God that you're not gonna do a thing to not sin, you don't truly confess your sin to God. In your vanity, you tell God that you're gonna do this thing next time, and that just keeps you in your sin cycle. My next question for your journal. When you're in your habitual sin cycle, do you take that sin that you confess upon yourself? Ask yourself this question. Do you tell God, next time I am not going to do this, next time I am going to do this in my own power? We all know that we can't do anything in and of ourselves because we're just not that good. And 1 John 1, 9 only works when you're able to give your sin to Jesus as you are. And in order to break out of this habitual sin power pattern, in uh, this habitual sin cycle, in order to break out of it, we have to do what Hebrews 12:2 says. Now, Grant has read this passage a few times. This is where this, the phrase "besetting sin" comes from in verse one, right? The sin that so easily entangles us. Now, verse two shows us how you can get out of this habitual sin pattern, and this is our truth. For today. So, if you're writing down in your journal the truth, this is what it is. You get out of your habitual sin pattern when you are fixing your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. You get out of your habitual sin cycle when you're fixing your eyes on Jesus. The only way to break free of this neural pathway or, or this habitual sin pattern is to create a completely new pattern. A different pattern interestingly with the same principles as the one that created that sin pattern now there's this concept in neuroscience called neuroplasticity and and when i wrote about it a couple of years ago it was a relatively new concept for hundreds of years we were taught that that the brain is hardwired like you can learn like a bunch of things as a kid but when you get older like your brain gets hardwired you can't change any of that and neuroplasticity says that you can teach an old dog new tricks sometimes we just use that excuse you know what i'm saying but you can change your brain you can change the neural pathways these neural sin patterns in your brain it's possible to create a new mind it's possible to renew your mind you cannot desire or want away your neural sin pattern, but you can dominate it by creating a newer and renewed mind, this Jesus neural pathway. Dr. Caroline Leaf, who is a neuroscience scientist, said that it takes six to three days to form a new habit. There's a way to harness your thinking power and, the, and, and to direct the neuroplasticity of your brain. It allows you to manage the mind in action and become the interior designer of your mind and brain. Hebb's law says that cells that fire together, wire together. And the quantum zeno effect, again, simply put, is that the brain becomes whatever you regularly focus on. So even though neuroplasticity is this new concept in neuroscience, the Bible's been talking about it for thousands of years. Why do you think there's so many verses in the scripture that talk about how we need to pay attention to the things that we're focusing on? To pay attention to the things that we think about, to meditate on, to renew your mind, to think on these things. Let's look at some of these passages that talk about how we can create these new neural pathways. The first verse that I want to point out is Romans 12, 2. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. In Romans 12, too, God says that neuroplasticity is possible. You can change those sin patterns, those thinking patterns. Uh, Colossians 3, 2 says this. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things set your mind on jesus-y things think about the god things and if you don't know what that is luckily in philippians 4 8 he tells us philippians 4 8 says finally brothers and sisters whatever is true whatever is noble whatever is right whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is admirable if anything is excellent or praiseworthy think about these things And when you're in your sin cycle and you start thinking about Jesus, when you start thinking about what is true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy, you start to create new neural pathways back to the presence of Jesus. The neuroplasticity of your brain allows you and I to create new thought patterns, new action plans, new be-in-the-presence-of-Jesus pathways. And the, beca- the brain becomes whatever you regularly focus on. So the Bible says that we need to renew our mind and change our focus, and when we do so, we can create new neural pathways that lead us to the presence of Jesus. Now I want you to write this down in your notes. We can create new neural pathways that lead us to the presence of Jesus. We just read a bunch of verses that said that. Because I don't know about you, but... When you're in the presence of Jesus, when he's right there with you on your screen, when you're driving your car and he's by your side, and Lord help me when when I drive, gosh. It's much easier to be kind and not yell back when I get cut off when I know that Jesus is sitting right next to me. And sometimes it's my wife, you know, Jesus through my wife saying, yo, it's much easier to turn off that browser or walk out of a situation or leave a relationship when you're in the presence of Jesus. Think about your sin situation. Well, I just told you that if you thought about it, that sin, you know, like thinking about it keeps you in it. But think about your sin situation with the presence of Jesus. The answer to the sin pattern or habitual sin cycle is not more thinking about the sin pattern. It's not more thinking about not sinning, but creating a new pattern of thinking about Jesus and being aware of his presence. Even a quick prayer or a thought that he is faithful to and just to forgive us is better than thinking, next time, I'm just gonna not sin. I wanna end our time with a prayer that finds its roots in a contemplative practice called centering prayer. It's not an extemporaneous prayer where you come up with words off the top of your head to pray. It's typically a verse or a phrase that brings you and ushers you into the presence of God. The idea is that you repeat this phrase and prayer so much that you start to create new patterns. Remember, you could do that in your brain. So instead of trying to fix the sin pattern, you just dominate it with this new pattern of practicing the presence of Jesus. Now, here's a simple definition of centering prayer. The simple practice, it's the simple practice of holding on to an idea and sitting in the presence of Jesus. Centering prayer is the practice of holding on to a word and sitting in the presence of Jesus. I read a story of a nun that, that tried to practice the presence of centering prayer. And, and in her first 20 minutes, after her first 20 minutes, she lamented to the priest, Father, I'm such a failure at this prayer. In 20 minutes, I've had 10,000 thoughts to which the priest responded, how lovely, 10,000 opportunities to return back to God. Now here's some insights that I found on centering prayer Again, it's the quiet repetition of a single word or phrase That can help us descend with the mind into the heart It's not magic This word or sentence repeated frequently can help us to concentrate To move to the center and to create an inner stillness And be present to the kind and loving voice of God When we simply try to sit and listen and wait for God to speak to us, we find ourselves bombarded with endless conflicting thoughts and ideas. But when we use a very simple sentence, such as, oh God, help me, or or, Jesus, have mercy on me, or you could just simply say, Lord. You can simply say, Jesus. It's easier to focus on the presence of Jesus. A simple, easy, repeated prayer can can slowly empty out our crowded interior life and create a quiet space where we can dwell with God. It can be like a ladder along which you descend into the heart, and then you ascend into the presence of God. And then all of a sudden, you create these new neural pathways that lead us to the presence of God. And remember, the brain becomes what you focus on. Now this week, as I was reading a book, I saw that in a study... In 2019, more than 50 million Americans, over 20% of U.S. adults, suffer from mental illness. Like, it's a very real thing. And I just want to add that some some people might have a medical or genetic reason for why we find ourselves in our sin patterns. That's legitimate. But I think healing is still available. Some of us might need some guidance. Some of us might need some help. And some of us might need to heal our brains and you can't break out of any pattern until you heal your brain but the practice of the presence of jesus works healing is available for all of us now in your journal uh we're trying to keep a keep track of a question and a truth and a step the question this morning i'm going to tell you what the question is you don't get to pick the question this morning is, is can you identify your habitual sin pattern and cycle And the truth that I want you to rest on is that you can change it by fixing your eyes on Jesus. And now we're gonna practice the presence of Jesus. That's the step. And we're gonna practice centering prayer. You can't get out of your habitual sin cycle by just wanting and desiring to get out of it. You cannot get out of your habitual sin cycle by just thinking about how next time I'm just gonna do it differently. All of these thoughts keep us there the only way to get out of it is to do so by developing a new cycle by developing a presence of god cycle where you fix your eyes on jesus cycle where you are transformed by the renewing of your mind and we think about the things that are true noble right pure lovely admirable praiseworthy excellent now, I want to practice this centering prayer as I close. And as the band comes back to lead us in worship, I want to just take a moment to practice centering prayer with you, okay? And so, if you, in the quietness of your heart, would choose a word or phrase as the symbol of your willingness to consent to God's presence and actions within, like my go to centering prayer is, Lord, have mercy on me Lord Jesus have mercy on me Lord Jesus have mercy on me I want you to pick a phrase or an idea and I want you to sit comfortably everyone take a deep breath and then I want to re- I want you to repeat your prayer I want you to do it at least 20 times Lord Jesus have mercy on me And then when other thoughts come, let them go and return to the word or phrase and practice 10,000 ways of returning back to God. And then at the end, I want you to just thank God for his presence. I want you to thank God that it's possible to renew our minds. It's possible for us to fix our eyes on Jesus and get out of these habitual sin cycles. So will you bow your heads and just spend your time in centering prayer. Practice.